0: Welcome to A Healthier View with Dr. Clithrow and yours truly. Today, we have a very special guest, Tom Cronin. Tom is a co-writer and the producer of the documentary, The Portal. He has written six books. He is also a meditation master, a coach. He created The Stillness Project and is an overall Zen kind of guy. In this episode of A Health Review, we're going to discuss so much. I mean, things like meditation, healthy, soulful relationship, his movie, The Portal, and so much more. Scott, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Beth. I'm very excited about today's show, and um, I'm doing well. You know the 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 vibe uh, is um, you know the holiday season, but yet it's typical Texas weather. It's not that cold, so um,
0: I know it's like what eighty something today.
1: Yeah, so but I'm, I'm enjoying we're, the pretty we're. day and um, enjoying my time with you as usual.
0: You know, you know, I just want to take a minute and share with our audience the reason Scott and I really wanted to bring Tom on today. Um, Well, there are a lot of reasons, but one is I heard him on a podcast and I was so energized with the conversation and I loved hearing him talk about spirituality and talk about the meditation he teaches, his yoga philosophy. I actually sent him an email saying, don't make me beg you to be on the show, (laughs) you know, and I love that all three of us speak a similar language and I want to talk about all that goodness and talk about love and relationship and meditation so with that Tom welcome I am so impressed with all the beautiful work you do in the world and thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge with us
2: that's great to be thanks for inviting me along and I, I did uh, enjoy reading your invitation to come and join <laughs> uh, this one I couldn't really refuse so Aww. it worked
1: yeah, Beth. Uh, Beth has a way with words, uh, both written and verbal. So uh, it's, it is hard to resist when she asks you something. So, uh, and, and Tom, I really appreciate your time too. And I, I just, you know, I know that you do a lot of work in different areas, but I was really intrigued by your 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 thinking and your uh, teaching about relationships. And so, and I know that you've shared on that same podcast about your your relationships. So I, I just, I don't know if we could start off with just, you know, what what are your thoughts about the the secrets, if you will, to a healthy and uh, stable relationship or marriage.
2: Yeah. Just a bit of background for the audience. I'm with my wife who we've been together for 30 years now. So I'm 54 Mm -hmm. and uh, we met uh, actually just over 30 years now. Uh, She was 20 and I was 22. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so we've, we've been through, you know, everything that you could possibly imagine, Uh, you know, in 30 years, I think there's not a relationship out there that's 30 years old that hasn't been through, trials and tempests, as well as the most incredible highs and levels of intimacy and connection. So I think it's really important that um, we understand that relationships aren't easy. And mm. if we can really just surrender and let ourselves go into that and just acknowledge that, yeah, then generally on, on the whole, they're hard. You know, They can be challenging. They'll give you the highest highs and the lowest lows. Mm. And there's a, a, a great degree of misinformation, I think, in the collective about you finding your ideal person and that never being a challenge yeah (laughs) but when you bring a a masculine and feminine this can be heterosexual or uh, or homosexual relationships there's usually a uh, sort of masculine and feminine dynamic which are these incredible sort of polar opposites that are magnetically drawn to each other and then the the polar opposite that makes the magnetism work also makes the repulsion work and that you're just completely different and think differently and talk differently. and act differently. <laughs> This is like the most insane um, sort of paradox that the universe has created, where we're going to create these two polar opposites that are attracted to each other, but find it so difficult to live together because they're so completely different, yeah. um, which I find is quite an irony. But look, you know, for us for 30 years, one of the things I think a mo- m- number of different things, one is that we, we both have a, a very, Uh, developed spiritual practice. Mm. I think if you're basing your religion, uh, religion, your relationship on an an egoic existence, that is purely through your ego identity, you're going to be entangled in a lot of, uh, you know, shoulds and shouldn'ts and past experiences and attachments to rights and wrongs. And uh, when you have a much more developed spiritual practice, both of you, you have a greater capacity to be more present and to, mm. uh, to to not be so deeply involved and entangled in past life, in your in mm. past experiences because hey, everyone makes mistakes and everyone um, is learning, everyone is growing and, um, you know, we've certainly both made mistakes and both had challenges in our individual lives and in the relationship. But to be able to be much more present allows us to come into a space that, clears that entanglement and that negative charge that might have happened from some past experience. And I know people are dealing with things that were 10, 15, 20 years ago and it just doesn't augur well for a great relationship when that's happening. I think secondly, um, giving each other a lot of space is also really important. And having the courage and the confidence to, um, to allow each person their own individual growth and their own individual journey And just be grateful and honoured that they're willing to share a lot of that journey with you. I share my journey of evolution and growth and my incarnation on this planet as a human being with a multitude of people, my students, my clients, my uh, colleagues, my friends, my family. And the person that I share a majority of that time with is my partner because I live under the roof with them and my children. And so they get a large portion of allocation of my time but um, allowing that, that person in your life to have the freedom to an acknowledgement that they're going to integrate many people in, in, in their life as part of their evolution and their journey. So that's one that I see a lot of cramping and a lot of constriction and almost oppression happening in a lot of people's lives and relationships because that inability to really allow that person the freedom to grow and evolve with some space.
0: Well, yeah, you truly covered a lot of goodness there. And, you know, the core values that are deal breakers for me in any relationship, but especially a romantic relationship would be like respect, responsibility, honesty, caring, and faith. But I also understand that nobody is perfect. So I may overlook if someone talks too much, but I can't handle the disrespect, kind of that sort of thing. But Tom, do you think that people give up too easily on relationships? their first sign of trouble. And on the flip side, do you think that some people stay in unhealthy relationships for far too long? I mean, I personally have friends and I've seen um, them stay in unhealthy relationships and this can be so draining on them. And I know there's different stories and circumstances for every situation, but what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, it's a a tricky one. You know, I I do recommend to my clients when I'm mentoring them to give that relationship uh, as much as you possibly can. You know, really... Um, give it the longevity that it deserves to really find out whether you've got that capacity to stay the distance. And, you know, there's a great um, principle in successful circles, uh, predominantly around business and entrepreneurship, that to be successful, you normally have to go through at least three hurdles. And those three hurdles are really there to sort of weed out the people that don't have the conviction and the courage and the commitment to stay the distance and the first hurdle sort of drops away about sort of 70 to 80% of people in business the the second one drops away about 20 uh, to 25% of the people and the third hurdle drops away sort of the remaining sort of 10 to 5 and that leaves like 3% that managed to get through and yeah. um, i think this is something that can be applied to relationships you know we've been through a number of different um, times in our relationship that it has been really testing us but we we had that commitment that we valued being together more than we valued being apart. And so that allowed us to stay together and then work through that and get to another deeper layer of connectivity and intimacy. And so I think if you can, and there's the willingness and the commitment and the courage and the conviction to sort of continue on together to grow, evolve and to work to make that a deeper, better, um, more harmonious existence, then by all means go all in on that. However, If it's fairly definitive that uh, it's not just going to work and it's either violence or too much turbulence or too much disconnect, too much misalignment, and it's just extremely uncomfortable, if not painful for too long, then um, we do need to know when – what's that saying? When to fold them. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And to, uh, I guess you live in Texas in that Texas holding focus. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's where you've got to um, adapt and you've got to pivot and you've got to make some tough decisions and, uh, and, and make them with conviction as well that you're going to, you know, move forward for everyone's growth and everyone's, you know, evolution.
1: You know, I I think back on my almost 30 years of marriage and I, and my wife and I got married pretty early on, um. And I, I just cringe sometimes some of, you know, when I, the, the, you know, youth and uh, things I said or did based on fear or ego or, you know, what have you, but um, I really, really, really connected with me. when you talked about trying to live in the moment. And I find that I, it's either my age maybe or that I have been trying to meditate more and kind of practice mindfulness that it seems like I have a broader expanse to live in the moment. And, and you mentioned spirituality, I, I, I guess, you know, not to get too off the subject, but, you know, what, what, I mean, spirituality means so many different things to so many people, but can you maybe share what you think about when you think about spirituality?
2: Yeah, it's a, a big rabbit hole we can go down, isn't it? Um, yeah. So spirituality is is that essence of us that mm-hmm. is not the thinking mind or the feeling body. That's the ego. And spirituality, some would call it many different things. Uh, it could be God. It could be source. It could be your divinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be uh, your highest self. Uh, but there's a part of us that is 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 spirit beyond the physical, mental, and emotional form that are temporary. And there's this purity there. This and, and it's I guess expressed as as light and love. And it's within us all. It's just mm-hmm. in Sanskrit, it's called Turiya. Uh, turiya means the fourth, the fourth state. So we've yeah. physical, mental, emotional, and then we've got this fourth state, which is non-physical, non-mental, mm-hmm. non-emotional. And it's, it's so pure, it's untouched, uh, it's unaffected, it's uninfluenced, and it's just the essence of being. And when we stabilize our awareness and our existence in that, then we really have the capacity to have an unconditional lovingness in our relationships, and I'm saying relationships plural now because right. it goes into your integration and your interactivity with with not just all humans but plants and animals and the universe as as a whole.
0: Mhm. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful you know, kind of going back to relationships a little bit, you know, as you're growing with that person that you choose to be with, you know, with all the ebb and flow of life and the positive and negative energy that happens in life, you know, a strong connection with that one person can be an amazing thing. I mean, when you get past that excitement of a new relationship and then things get comfortable, like your favorite sweatshirt, which may be a silly analogy, but when situations get real and you can read somebody's body language and you can finish their sentences, when you honor them and, you know, celebrate those familiar patterns, I personally think that is really exciting and can be so fulfilling while others might think that's boring, you know, and all that rambling. I actually have a question about codependency. Um, Tom, when you think of codependency, um, do you think this causes a real problem in a person's life and can cause pressure in a relationship?
2: Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, it's it's this fine line we walk in relationships as to you know how integrated and 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 connected we become, to the point where we can easily lose a sense of um, a sense of awareness about our truth and our being and our, our identity. And um, just going back to the initial thing that you were talking about there with relationships being boring or, or not and. Firstly, we've got to acknowledge that there's, there's a tendency because it's all over Netflix and Amazon Prime and every other romantic movie that we generally watch is is relationships have been programmed into us to be incredibly dramatic mm-hmm. and that's extreme highs and lows. However, what I'm learning, relationships and business are very similar and they both actually should not be very dramatic. They should be very stable, very consistent and that's where we get longevity, where we get consistency and, and that's where we uh, get this really nice um, stability and assurance that it's 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 got that capacity to stay the distance when we have these extreme highs and lows and some people actually will sabotage their relationship which is actually quite done uh beautiful and rich but for some reason they have it in their mind that it has to be dramatic and so they throw in all these sorts of dramas and start this sort of self-sabotaging process without even realizing that there's a code that they're operating from that will will create this um you know up and down type experience which is not not very good for a long-term relationship but coming back to codependence you know it's a fine line we walk in relationships because i agree with you there's something so beautiful about that that extra layer that we get to in the longevity of a relationship where you know you you know what that person's thinking and saying and there's this familiarity Mm -hmm. of of living together um, there's this fine line with that. It's, it's really a tricky one because there's something really beautiful in that, but there's also something that there's a, a morphing that happens where you kind of end up becoming almost like the same thing. Together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you can very much, I've noticed even myself, you know, I used to be Incredibly neat and tidy. This is a classic example of, and I guess it's a slightly different thing than codependence. But there's a, there, I used to been incredibly neat and tidy. You know, to the point where I was probably one would probably assume it's quite anal. But um, <laughs> you know, all my coat hangers had to be the right way, and all my clothes had to be folded in the same sort of way. But my wife was incredibly messy when I met her. <laughs> Um, and I've become actually quite messy over the years, just because I, <laughs> I think I just she beat me down by just not That's being clean funny. and tidy. And so um, there's that morphing where I kind of changed my ways to to fit into the relationship, and she's changed her ways in some ways to fit in the relationship. But codependence, I guess, it's a slightly different thing, isn't it? Where there's this sort of clingy neediness, mm-hmm. where yeah. I can't exist in my own. Um, Independence. I can't exist. You know, we hear Michael Bolton songs and where I carry songs where I can never live without you. Mm. And this is a deep code in our society that is is fraught with trouble. And I remember going to a, a, a wedding of one of my good friends, and he in his wedding speech was talking about how she made him whole, she made him complete, mm-hmm. she was the other half to him, and leaned over to my wife and said, "This isn't good." Um, And two years later, I got a knock on my door and he, uh, I opened the door and there he was in absolute abject misery, boiling his eyes out. He fell into my arms, I had to hold him up and sat him down. and, And he was sobbing saying, she's left me. She's left me, Tom. Um, I've got nothing. And this is, I think part of the problem when we get into this, you know, conditioned idea that we need to be codependent is that we're losing ourselves. We're losing our wholeness into uh a container and the container isn't about finding your wholeness the container is bringing your wholeness to that container and the relationships the container and you your wholeness is what you bring to the container
1: yeah that's beautiful yeah that that whole um area of codependency has been interesting in my relationship too because i i i have struggled with even the term but it really the way you described it and and as I, again, has evolved has really resonated with me. Um, that's very impactful. You know, um, Tom, I mean, we, we've talked about meditation on this show before, and I am just so impressed with the data, the literal medical research data about how it improves so many areas of our health. And so I I know you're an expert in this area. Is, Is there just some, um, general things you can tell us about meditation and with regards to health benefits. I mean, and we talk about this sometimes, but I think it really helps coming from somebody like you who just, who, you know, lives in this area and this space, how can you convince some of our listeners who may not be quite convinced that it's so important. It would be a very important part of their life.
2: Yeah. It's a great time to be exploring meditation in our world today because it's come from a very sort of spiritual esoteric sort of background and into Mm -hmm. a very scientific uh, place, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working with Amazon. I've worked with Coca-Cola. Worked with Qantas, you know, teaching their staff, and mm-hmm. we always work on on three levels. One is physical, mental, and emotional. So, mm-hmm. on a on a physical level, it's just such a powerful tool, as it um, reduces that stress response in the body. The physical body is always sort of responding to life circumstances, and sometimes it can mis, um, misread life circumstances and and trigger you to be in what's called sympathetic nervous system state, which is a Mm. fight flight response. So your physical body starts to coagulate the blood. It starts to store fat cells. It starts to change your breathing. um, And it starts to go through a shutting down of your digestive system on a mental level. It starts to contract the frontal lobe of your brain. So you get very poor intuitive, creative capabilities uh, and adaptable capabilities because your brain functionality is being impaired because you're operating from, a very primal uh, reptilian part of your brain, which Mm -hmm. is that rear part of the brain. And more importantly, on a biochemical level, when we're in that stress response, which a large portion of the world are these days, because we're having to face more and more uncertainty, is that we we shift from the biochemicals moving in our body of melatonin, the biochemical to help us sleep, serotonin, the biochemical to help us feel happy, and oxytocin, the biochemical required to have the sensation of love, The body shuts all those biochemicals down when we're in a stress response because the body's interpreting your experience to be a life and death situation, which is predominantly something that gets activated when we're going into battle Mm -hmm. or when we're running from a Sabre to Tiger. And in those moments, it's not the time to have sensations of love, particularly going into battle. Uh, it's not the time to be falling asleep. Uh, it's very dangerous if there's a saber-tooth tiger running after you. <laughs> and it's not the time to be feeling jovial and wanting to crack jokes with someone that potentially your enemy. So it's the body is trying to preserve life and it's reading that situation and it could be a long-term situation of a poor relationship or financial issues or um, you know lockdowns and things. And it's um, changing your biochemical makeup and it's producing high levels of cortisol, adrenaline and norepinephrine. And so we can't coexist with norepinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol and serotonin, oxytocin, melatonin. So we're, we're kind of like one or the other. And what yeah. meditation does is it very quickly will flip you out of the sympathetic nervous system state, move you into the parasympathetic. Um, and by default, all of the those sort of shifts that have happened in the stress response start to default and reverse back into Um, The opposite, which is being in the parasympathetic, the peace response. So it's very, very important for us to optimize our health, our happiness, our well-being. And as a result of that, our relationships, simply by meditating, I think there's there's nothing better that we could do ultimately to have a a more successful life on all areas.
0: Uh,
1: That was a wonderful encapsulation. That was great. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And I think for me, I have to say that meditation didn't come easily for me. I'm a high energy person. In fact, my friends call me Buzzy. Um, And (laughs) it took me trying on and off for three or four years of trying to meditate and being frustrated with not being able to meditate. And then it it became more natural for me. But now one thing I love about meditation is the gap that it's helped me with my reaction to situation. It has truly helped me become a calmer person and have more joy. I honestly can say that. But Tom, how often does someone need to meditate to see or feel any difference?
2: Look, it's such an important point you've made here, Beth, and that, you know, for some techniques and I probably want to hear from you in a moment, what what the technique was that you were trying, because some techniques can take a long, long time, A, before you sort of really get it, and B, before you see any results. And look, I did a lot of shopping around. You know, I was, a, I was like you. I was a busy, busy person. I was a broker on a trading room floor. If anyone's seen Wolf of Wall Street, <clears throat> that was me. You know, it was the mm. same year Jordan Belfort started his career at the age of 22 in nineteen eighty-seven. I started my career as a broker in, in 1987 at the age of 19. And, um, the industry was just like that. That's, that's what my day was on a, on a daily basis, just about, there's a few things we, we didn't do that he did, but, um, and so it was frenetic. And so to, to throw meditation into my life, um, as that type of person, you know, it needed to be pretty damn good to, to actually work out for me. And so I tried a number of different techniques and I found them very convoluted, very ineffective, very challenging. But then I must admit, and this is just my personal experience, that's so purely subjective and not to dismiss anyone else's technique or disrespect anyone else's practice. But what I did find was this transcendental meditation process. or well, These days uh, it's also called um, Vedic meditation, which is using these transcending mantras, the, the specific sounds that you repeat inside your head. And what, what it did for me was very, very quickly put me into a very deep state Uh, And that's the technique that I've been using for a long time. And it's the technique that I teach predominantly because I just found it really, really effective and efficient uh, and a very easy to integrate into our day. So what I recommend with that practice, if that's uh, a technique that people are learning, is we generally recommend 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon. But outside that, you know, it's really comes down to your own personal interests um, and what your priorities and preferences are in, in life and it is a long-term investment for sure. But some of the benefits you get out of this um, and uh, are so profound and so remarkable. But what we tend to do is we, we tend to take the shortest route to, to charm, to pleasure. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we, we're not often looking at these longer-term sort of investments in our health and wellness. And we'll, we'll, you know, rather have a can of Coke or watch Netflix or scroll through Instagram because it's a quicker source of pleasure Whereas meditation is a longer, more sustainable source of pleasure and fulfillment and among many other things that come from it. And so that's why for some people, they just find it a little bit harder to prioritize. And that's why I sort of you know, give a lot of support with my students. We give uh, weekly group meditations and mentoring to our community that have uh, been doing that technique so that they can stay online and on track with their practice.
1: Do you, do you, um, I mean, obviously you have a a, a great service that you provide uh, through your website. Um, how do you, for somebody who may just want to try it out, do you, how do you suggest they go about trying the different types or learning about the different types of meditation?
2: Yeah. You know, there's, there's thousands of meditations, you know, you could just simply go to YouTube and type Mm -hmm. in meditation and there'll be so many in there. There's the the challenge with this is that it can get a little bit of what we call in trading circles, analysis paralysis, Mm -hmm. where you, you know, it's like getting a menu in a, in a, Restaurant, and there's like 50,000 things to choose from. She's so, like, Oh my goodness, someone choose for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, look, uh, I think do your research mm-hmm. and find a technique that really works for you and give it the respect and the time that it deserves to start to um, have some form of um, impact in your life. Mm-hmm. You do want to see some benefits uh, over time. And if it's just not delivering them, then you, you just continue to do more research yeah um, you know our technique that i teach um i teach it in person or i've got an online format and you know we give a money back guarantee on the online mm-hmm. format so if people wanted to try that they've got 30 days to you know wow. really get the most out of it and if if they haven't found any results which if they do that technique as it's um sort of instructed um we've never found a person that haven't had the benefits after that's- 30 days oh wow that's fantastic
0: you know, there are situations in all of our lives that don't make sense or we struggle with why did this happen? You know, I find if I do spiritual practice in those moments, a lot of times they seem to kind of work itself out. Now I heard you talk about ego in one of your interviews and can you go into how our ego can not only, you know, perhaps ruin a relationship, but affect our lives and our health in a negative way?
2: So the question is how can it affect our life in a negative way?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Sure. So ego. Um, it's an. I guess it's important to sort of discern what ego is. And mm-hmm. ego is our identity. It's our personality. It's our thinking mind. It's our emotional body. And what drives our decisions are, are the the seeking uh, through thought and in action to receive elevation, some some form of pleasure. Um, and so that's what motivates and drives the ego, that quest to be fulfilled. Now. Um, that can lead us to making decisions and choices that we might find short-term pleasure, but with that comes a polarity of some pain. And there's this incredible dynamic in the field of relativity, which the ego interacts with. That's the the world of duality: the ego and the subject or object that the ego, uh, sorry, the, the object that the ego is interacting with. So the ego is being the subject, and the object being what it's interacting with. And so there's this dynamic there. And there's a polarity in that dynamic of pain and pleasure. And so we see that pain and pleasure playing out all the time, but the the ego um, it's this drive for some experience, sometimes with very short sightedness, like uh, smoking a cigarette or getting completely wasted or, um, you know, um, fulfilling a desire that might have detrimental consequences. If we fulfill that desire, you know, like, uh, going and doing a transgression in your relationship. So these sorts of things um, have this capacity to continuously bring uh, a, a a cause and effect type dynamic where we go and seek pleasure, but it, it ends up having a corresponding pain response. Mm. And the ego doesn't really have that capacity to be so intuitive to look that far down the track at what could be the pain response or the the negative side effect. It just is so blinded by that. That's why people will sit up on their phones, scrolling on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook till 2 in the morning because um, it's, it's the immediate pleasure is what the, uh, the ego is looking for. Mm-hmm. And I remember the head of uh, Netflix actually said once at their annual, annual meeting that they have three competitors, Facebook, YouTube, and sleep. And that's oh, because they yeah. see sleep as one of their competitors and that oh they want gosh. to have people compromise their sleep for mm-hmm. greater pleasure, which is be watching uh, their TV shows.
1: Wow. I mean, self-identity is such an interesting topic though, Tom, or thought, because I mean, it seems to have changed for me. You know, I don't, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, a friend, but you know, when I've really kind of gotten deep into mindfulness and meditation, there's so many different planes about who and what I am. And it's sometimes a little, not frightening, but disconcerting, but it's certainly helped me again, get through those I look at them as somewhat youthful, impulsiveness of fear and, and, and possession and all these things. And, um, I I'm, I'm glad I'm going through this process and I'm getting better, but you know, just the term ego is interesting, but I, I, so I guess my question is Does meditation help you get a better understanding of, of, of what yourself is, what your ego is, you know, consciousness, all these things. It's so confusing to those of us that don't think about this all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It can be confusing if you're not aware of the of the longer term benefits and experiences of a meditator, um, because we have a thinking mind, and and like Descartes, the French philosopher said, "I think, therefore I am." So he, his identity was was thinking. However, the mind is a deeply coded and conditioned pattern of neurological pathways. You know, thoughts that traverse across the landscape of the mind, and 85% of the thoughts that we have, they're not actually our thoughts. They're you know if we're reading a tweet that's someone else's thought if we're watching mm-hmm. netflix that's uh, the writer's thought if we're then you're listening to a podcast like now you you listen to my thoughts and so we don't realize how little of our own free thinking do we actually have now when we actually have the remainder 15% of our day which is just our own thought tracks then uh 85% of those thoughts are actually repetitive thoughts of the day before and the day before and the day before so we have mm-hmm. this very limited range of free um new thinking new new expansive ways of thinking which keeps us in this sort of recurring pattern of the known and what we we call these is is called vasanas in sanskrit is it's tendencies of the mind our our mind like the water in the grand canyon it's traveled down that particular route for so long that -hmm. there actually becomes no other option and so if you get told at the age of five that you're hopeless and no good or unloved then and you have that thought track day in day out time and time again then by the time you're 20, 30, 40, 50, the, the familiarity with that particular thought track is so deeply ingrained yeah. in the landscape of your mind that it's almost, in, almost not impossible, but it's very difficult to have a different thought track if you're just trying to think your way out of it. But when we meditate, what happens is we transcend the thinking level. And what happens is we access a level of consciousness. This is the, the Turia we were talking about, that fourth state, where we now have awareness itself or consciousness. So consciousness doesn't need thinking. but thinking needs consciousness. Hmm. And so we can access consciousness itself, which is the silent witness. It's called Sakshi kutashta. And that means the silent witness that observes the mind, and that's observing the mind, whether it's thinking or not thinking. Hmm. And that awareness, that capacity to see, to watch what uh, the thinking process is, and then to start to discriminate and have some authority over and sovereignty over the thinking mind, and start to go, okay, what thoughts am I going to entertain today? Because my thoughts lead to actions and my actions lead to results. So, what sort of results do I want to have in my life? And by mastering the mind, we master life.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's uh, amazing. And, you know, um, you know, speaking of this, and I actually watched The Portal the other night and tom you did an amazing job on it it's powerful it's breathtaking and thank you from the bottom of my heart for creating it um but there was a part in it that talked about unconditional love and they were saying that unconditional love is not necessarily accepting or being okay with bad behavior. It's really about loving that person for who they are and incorporating that unconditional love and looking at that person and saying, this is who they are, this is their total package, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm just gonna be with this person, I love this person, and we'll work out you know, the not so good stuff. But how do you personally define unconditional love?
2: Yeah, it's, you know, unconditional love is actually the essence of who we are. It's, it's who we are without thinking mind and ego body. It's actually, it's the, it's the lightness of being. It's the, it's the lovingness that exudes out of us. And that's something that uh, most of us have yet to tap into um, mm. because we're sort of caught in these sort of recurring loops in, in our intellect. But firstly, identifying that each individual is the embodiment of love, just it's either realized or not realized yet. Um, and secondly, to express unconditional love for others, exactly like Julia in the film says, you know, it doesn't mean that you just let everything happen. For instance, um, you know, I've got two beautiful 19-year-old children, uh, uh, Taj and Laura, my, my children, they're twins. And, you know, as we went through teenage years, there was definitely times when um, some guidance and some boundaries were needed to be, you know, in place for them to sort of grow into better human beings. And so it doesn't mean that you just uh, allow any particular, um, you know, behavioral patterns. You you sort of have to go, okay, look, um, because I love you unconditionally, I'm going to um, sit down and have a word with you and say, look, this, what you've just been doing isn't appropriate in this house. And it's not appropriate for you and your life going forward. Mm -hmm. And so for, for some degree of, um, you know, let's call it a lesson, Um, we're going to take your phone off you for a week. And, um, you know, you can't uh, go out after school and see your friends, you know, there has to be some sort of boundary line here that we need to put in place just to sort of remind you that that type of action isn't um, an appropriate action. And interestingly, what they really respect and appreciate is that that is coming from an unconditional love. And I always finish when we have to have, we didn't have many of them, I must admit, my kids were, were great, but You know, that's just a reality. You've got teenage kids. Everyone knows that with teenage kids. It's going to be some some degree of, uh, you know, discipline needed. And we always finish those conversations with, you know, me talking about, you know, why do you think I'm doing this? And, you know, after time, my kids will know that it's because you love us. I said, yeah, absolutely, I love you. I love you so much that I'm having to go through this process with you, which I'd rather not, but I'm doing it because I have such unconditional love for you. And it's the same with my wife. You know, it, there's certainly times when I've been a bit of a dickhead along the way, um, <laughs> and uh, she, you know, because of her unconditional love for me, and because of the the willingness and the 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 wanting to to have longevity with me, um, there were certain things that she would have to say. Look, that's I I don't I don't really want to live in that house with that type of behaviour, or vice versa, me for her. And so those types of conversations are so critical. Um, to kind of iron out sort of creases and allow the ability to go forward, but knowing and being clear about where that's coming from. It's not coming from, I don't like you. Therefore I'm going to say this is because I love you unconditionally. And that's why I'm going to go through this process and have that conversation.
0: Wow. That's, that's beautiful. You know, I am, um, we're definitely going to have your website link and the link to the portal. So our viewers can check it out, but what made you decide to make the documentary, the portal?
2: Yeah, I, I you know I was so passionate about meditation. What it did for my life was phenomenal, and I really wanted to. This was before apps, you know, like Headspace and Calm, and you know we've got an app as well. Enter the portal. So it was before sort of meditation became very mainstream. This was back in 2011, 2012, and it was still quite you know not part of society. And mm. I really wanted to make a film that would be able to go out into the masses and share the the power of meditation, and um, so after we saw the, I saw the secret, I realized, you know, wow, film's a great medium to get, you know, this esoteric subject matter out to the world. You know, the secret got the idea of law of attraction out into the masses. And that was a really effective film that they created there. And I I was quite inspired by that idea that I'd get meditation mainstreamed by making a film about it. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to make a film and to get, you know, uh, everyone, so many different creative influences to, to try and produce something that, um, you Know one person might have an idea for, but you know, the other six people that are creatives on the project have a slightly different idea about what it might look like, so that was always a bit of a challenge.
1: That's beautiful, beautifully done. It's, it's, I highly recommend it. Um, and I, I know we're very sensitive to your time, Tom, but uh, can you briefly go over the stillness project? And I have to say, before you answer, I watched a, a video of you talking about it, and and you, and again, as a 55 year old gentleman, I really, it really meant a lot when you talked about what it was like to be alive 30 years ago. And I remember it, I was in medical Mm -hmm. school at the time, but no email, no text messages. I mean, I had a little beeper thing that had a phone number, but the amount of information that we get before 8am every morning is just overwhelming. And so that really hit me hard about what what we've seen in our lifetime. But can you talk a little bit about the stillness project and, and, and what that's all about?
2: Yeah, I really wanted to mainstream the idea of adding some stillness in our day and, and glamorizing stillness, I guess, in some way mm-hmm. making it it's part of a, an appealing proposition. It's exactly like you said, you know, we've just been so inundated with other charming propositions that aren't stillness, they're, they're, you know, activity, stimulation. And this is causing a huge detrimental effect on our nervous system and our capacity to actually be happy. You know, it's ironic mm-hmm. that we keep doing things that supposedly bring us greater pleasure and greatest charm. But they actually lead to long-term, um, you know, distraction, uh, mm-hmm. disease, uh, discontentment. And this is really something that's becoming epidemic, I think, in our society. And my personal feeling is that the pandemic is actually uh, almost like a, a ripple effect of that in some ways, because yeah. we've lost the a, a great sense of what it is to be healthy and what a, a great sense of what it, what it takes to be happy.
1: That's so true.
0: Yeah. You know, I truly think that meditation and teaching stress management techniques can really fill a gap. And um, I I really think that it's podcasts like this and it's your, your shows and, and what you do, Tom, again, it's all beautiful work. I'm so inspired by you and I am definitely going to be signing up. I promise you, promise you I'm going <laughs> to be signing up. Cause I, I would like to talk to you about the meditation I'm doing, maybe not on the show, but, um, but what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I'm certainly have not mastered that, but I, as we wrap up, um, we're going to have all your information on our landing page. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for agreeing to be here and being here and sharing all your knowledge and it's just a great conversation.
2: Mm, It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me along and giving me the opportunity to share with everyone here today. So wonderful space
1: to to, to be in really grateful for your time and expertise. Thank you so much.
2: Pleasure.
0: So stay with us. We'll be right back after this commercial break. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents kind of different, but we bonded over music and we talked Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted in my own life. And I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. In whatever you do, talk, they hear you.
1: All right, we're back, Beth. Again, fantastic guest. Thank you for finding Tom and sharing him with me and our listeners. Man, I'm really really, really excited about up in my meditation game.
0: Now you meditate, don't you?
1: I do. I do. I have several apps that I use on the phone, but I don't do 20, 40 minutes a day. I really would like to do at least 20 minutes a day, like he suggested. So I'm going to get on that soon as in tonight.
0: Oh my gosh, you have to let us know, but you know, I was actually reading a book and this kind of popped up when we were having the conversation with Tom, but, um, I was reading a book by Maya Dusenberry Mm -hmm. and it's called doing harm. And I'm actually going to have to read this, but one of her quotes was, okay, let me find it. The incentive for doctors to sit and listen to patients has disappeared. It's an negative incentive and they are punished for slowing down. We've taught people that it's not okay to think outside the box. And, you know, again, I just was thinking about that when we were talking and I kept thinking of one of my favorite quotes and that's the body follows the mind. And I know that slowing down and meditating can really help people not only feel better, but possibly help reduce symptoms of chronic illnesses, as well as, you know, perhaps reduce the severity of a disease. And I, I have such sympathy for physicians like you, Scott, and I truly think that meditation and teaching stress management techniques um, can fill a gap. I I really believe that. I said that before, and we all know that rest, sleep, and breathing can improve our immune system, but what are your thoughts on how meditation can help with inflammation in the body and for overall health? I want to ask you that.
1: Well, it certainly helped me. My blood pressure has come down a little bit, and again, like I've shared in the program, I think it's helped with my interpersonal relationships and just my overall sense of of mindfulness and, and my sense of the world and, and a little bit less fear. I, I don't think I've ever been afraid of dying or, you know, things, but I just, I find myself a little bit less fearful of the universe, if you will. I don't know. It's, I could probably be a little more profound, but you know, we had Dr. Vu and vu, one of my partners on, and she, teaches meditation to physicians and what a great gift. And during COVID, she's done it. And, um, you know, obviously healthcare workers, as we all know, are under, have been under a lot of stress the last couple of years. And it's just been a crazy time. But meditation, I think, has really helped a lot of people. But I, can I, if I have time, I want to share two stories. Um, Absolutely. So one, uh, I was already a young physician, but my mom was having surgery down in Houston. And uh, by coincidence, it turned out that the anesthesiologist, uh, was an Episcopalian, which my mom and dad um, were, are my dad's past, but my mom is. And, um, and my brother was there and he's active in his church. And um, and then just by happens, their close friend, who was the Episcopal priest at their church, uh, came in to just visit with mom before surgery. So we're all on the holding area. And uh, the anesthesiologist who we hadn't met before says, would you mind if I, because the preacher goes, hey, can we pray? And the anesthesiologist said, can I join, you know, and it was, we, he said a nice good old Episcopal prayer and it was, you know, wasn't that long. And that was a spiritual connection. And like he said, there's many different kinds and, and it was a very peaceful moment. And, um, a nurse had walked in and she thanked us also for allowing her to be part of that. So right there unplanned was a moment, a timeout, if you will, like I've talked about before a timeout for spirituality in the busy healthcare system. And then lastly, I'll share something maybe with my physician colleagues who are listening or with other people is that one thing I've tried to do recently, and it's really based on some of the things we've done in the show and my thoughts about mindfulness is that now when I listen to a patient's lungs, I will often ask them to take a deep breath and think about it as a meditational thing that I I want them just to concentrate on their air coming out of their lungs all the way and then, you know, breathing it in all the way, filling their lungs out nice and slow and just do that until I tell you to stop. And that allows me to do my physical exam. But in that moment in time, in that crazy ER or God forbid the ICU. Well, sometimes they actually they can't follow my directions, but in in the hospital, I've just taught them a little meditation and I'll, and I'll suggest that that's what the basis of some mindfulness techniques are. And they, they just did it, you know, And I think I probably have impacted a few patients. And so I think that's been a very um, useful tool for me, at least to um, spread the word, if you will.
0: You know, when you were talking, um, it reminded me of Florence Nightingale. I mean, she's one of my (laughs) heroes, despite some of her actions against her supervisors. I mean, Mm -hmm. for me, I think she was a hero because she changed hospital conditions and saved lives with her hard Mm -hmm. work and determination. She saw a gap and she filled it with a new kind of, um, you know, practice. And, you know, Again, so when you're talking about that, she was seen as a rebel or strange or radical nurse, but later she was given the nickname ministering angel. I mean, she took mm-hmm. a stance and she took action. Um, do you see where I'm going here? You kind of did the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So kudos to you. Thank you for sharing that.
1: <laughs> I hope. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, Beth. Yeah. I just, again, trying to change my little corner of the world, but I really do think that there's a. I think that, you know, that's a great example of somebody who was very uh, looked at as kind of a rebel at first and then became you know, a a noted uh, change, uh, agent of change. And I think that 20, 30 years from now in healthcare, there'll be a lot of things that you talk about that we talk about on this program that are gonna be standard of care. Um, And I I look forward to that time uh, because I think it's gonna be better for patients and for providers.
0: That's wonderful. I really hope that, you know, people like Tom and and you and me and and other wellness folks can get the word out, encourage them to, you know, think outside the box when it comes to their health and their well-being and their wellness. And, you know, as always, if you guys have questions, please email us email us at info at up to me we will answer every single email we get i encourage you to listen to our other shows we've had on past season as well as the other amazing shows on up to me radio um with that i just want to wish everyone a happy healthy day and we'll see you next time